today I thought it would be really good and uh, to just kind of end this year with a summation of what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ. We always talk about how we come to God in Christ. Uh, on Tuesday, we discussed how Jesus unequivocally said, I am the way. There's no other mm. way to connect with God and why that is. And so now it's just a very practical question. Well, how do you do that? You know, what, what are the exact steps? If Jesus is the gate or the way uh, to coming home to God, how do I directly connect with him? What does the Bible actually teach? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you have to do. It is not something that you can get someone else to do for you, but we can come alongside you to encourage you, to challenge you, yeah. to educate you, and to occasionally entertain you. And ultimately, your journey of faith will hopefully and with lots and lots of growth after <laughs> the Salty Pastor podcast. That's so, our hope, anyway. That's our hope, anyways. That's yeah. what we're shooting for. So thank you so much for joining us on this uh, couple days before Christmas. My name yeah. is Jesse Mayer, and I will be your host. And we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. So good to be with you, everybody. Uh, when you do the work, you reap the reward. And that's what it's about, is we want you to live the life that you can live, you know, you live in a reality where Jesus said in John 10, where the thief comes to steal and destroy. So there is an active campaign, so to speak. It's not a conspiracy theory. You don't have to have a tinfoil hat to agree with this, <laughs> uh, to destroy and uh, your life and steal things from you. It really is. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And so that's really why we want you to do the work is because we want you to discover what it is that God has for you. And that's why we do the Salty Pastor. It's for you, it's for your faith, and for what you can discover when you walk closely with the Lord. And today's a very special edition of the Salty Pastor. It's our last yes. episode before Christmas this year in yes. 2022. And here are all the things we want to share with you and your family. We have our Christmas yeah. Advent devotional. If you um, haven't been watching those, they are still available for you to get. You can just text mm -hmm. in to get those FH Advent um, to 72,000 and you can watch them. And those were put together by our staff and some members of the congregation as a gift for you. We have Christmas Eve worship services coming up, um, on mm -hmm. Christmas Eve. Obviously we have on campus and online at two, three 30 and five, and then online only at six 30. Uh, hold on. <laughs> I have to do math. Six thirty, and then eight, seven thirty, eight thirty, and nine thirty. Oh, okay. Six thirty, seven thirty, eight thirty, and nine thirty. Yes. Got it. And so we have all of those options available to you. And then and they're uh, all premieres. So you could just turn them on and boom, they're right yep, there they're for right you. They're right there for you and your family for, whenever yeah. you're ready for them. And then obviously Christmas Day, we're not having service here um, on campus. On campus, but mm -hmm. we did put together a very full featured Christmas Day special so that you and your family can stay yeah. home and enjoy it together while you're opening presents and drinking your eggnog and hot chocolate. You can be watching the Christmas special. And it's got a lot of 
lot of yes. fun stuff. It's got some teachings that Pastor Doug put together for you. It's got some families who have shared traditions. It's going to be yeah. quite the spectacular. And we're All the staff to gets to say Merry Christmas, yes. which I really think is neat. So um, those are all the crazy things happening this week to celebrate Christmas. Yeah. But what are we doing today on The Salty Pastor? Well, today I thought it would be really good and uh, to just kind of end this year with a summation of what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ. We always talk about how we come to God in Christ. Uh, on Tuesday, we discussed how Jesus unequivocally said, I am the way. There's no other mm. way to connect with God and why that is. And so now it's just a very practical question. Well, how do you do that? You know, what, what are the exact steps? If Jesus is the gate or the way, uh, to coming home to God, how do I directly connect with him? What does the Bible actually teach? So, I mean, this is really just getting back to basics of what is having faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And as we come into this season and celebrating his birth and whether it happened on this day or not, mm -hmm. we should understand why it's important he's here and what it means to have faith in him. Because those are sometimes some Christianese terms that can get thrown around that don't always get fully explained yeah. when you're starting and out. I, it's like we talked on Tuesday is that you can, you can have a relationship with a thing, you know, a car or your TV or whatever. And you're like, mm, I'm not quite sure how that operates. Right. You can have a relationship with a pet, an mm. animal or something like that. And that's a higher level. And you're like, but I'm not quite sure that, you know, if what is Cooper, what does Cooper think or know right. or understand when you say, Hey Cooper, I love you. You're yes. such a good dog. <laughs> and so, but then what happens is you do understand whether you have a good relationship with another human being or not. Mm. I mean, if I were to ask you, Oh, rank your relationships, you know, how close are you? Like you say something like, well, how close are you to, and you fill in the blank. You could pretty quickly answer that yeah. question because we understand that w that's the reality we live in. And in essence, that's the whole notion. How do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm. How do you know that you are saved? And it says specifically, Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter two, verses eight, and nine. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourself. It is not a result of works. It is a free gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now, that's a little wordy in the way he says it. Mm -hmm. But if you were reading it in the original language, it would flow much better. And what he's saying is that, in essence, that grace is God's attitude towards you and why he wants to save you. And we kind of encapsulate that in this statement that, well, God is love, right? God right. is love, therefore he loves. And he created us, and, and so we are loved by God just by the, his nature is to love. Uh, it, for instance, if you were, you know, what's the frog and the scorpion thing about, you know, story oh, where the frog the and... goes across the river and the scorpion stings him anyway and kills them both. Right. Right. And the frog, as he's going under, says, why'd you do that? And the scorpion says, well, that's my nature. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you have a blazing bonfire in your, uh, backyard, what is the closer you get to it? What happens? You get hotter. You get hotter because that's the nature of a bonfire. God is love. That is his nature. nature. So the closer you get to God, the more you experience what? His love. Pure, 
unadulterated, authentic, genuine love. So his grace towards us is the uh, attitude of love towards us. In other words, it emanates only from him, and there's nothing that we did to get him to do that. It's just his nature. Okay. Right? Similar to like, well, there's nothing I did to start the bonfire. You know, I just showed up and it was there, and and its nature is to warm me as I get closer to it, so to speak. Right. And that's what grace is. And it means that the reason for why God does what he does is based on his nature, not based on my works. Mm -hmm. Because if it's based on what I do, as if God owes me something or something I did that was super special, then I can boast about it. Uh, I can say, well, I made God do this or God owes me or I deserve this. And so Paul is saying, well, that's the wrong frame of reference to have a relationship with God. Okay. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. So, I mean, another way to say it is, you know, grace basically is God's attitude towards his creations mm -hmm. based on his nature. So mm -hmm. based on who he is and what he is. Yes. This is his attitude towards us. Or, or another way is that because God is love, he loves us. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do we, how do we experience grace in our lives then? Cause love, love, we have a grasp on and we're like, okay, yeah, we, we kind of get the, what love is, mm -hmm. but we're talking about grace. What, how do yeah. we experience grace? Well, a lot of people I think today are like, you know, well, I know God loves me, but it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times people will say, well, I don't believe in God. And then there's other people who will say, well, that doesn't matter whether you believe in God anyway. He saves you anyway. And there's all these ideas and attitudes out there about what God is, is like. And, and I think it's a misunderstanding and that this is where uh, it's a misunderstanding of reality. And this is where your definition of what it means to be a human being plays an important part in your own personal experience of God's grace towards you or your own capacity to grow your capacity to be transformed and to change mm -hmm. and into experience new things and to have more joy and more love in your life. If your definition of what it means to be human being is misaligned with reality, then the opportunity for you to experience and walk in and grow in those things is diminished dramatically. Right. And uh, the revelation of the Bible tells us this is what it is to be a human being created in the image of God, but now because of the fall, tainted by sin or evil or cancer of the soul is this evil called sin. And so uh, we understand that this is God's definition of what it means to be a human being. Basically, since we've been created this way, we we can be very altruistic, you know, in God's image. Uh, being created in his image means we can be very altruistic. We can have great dreams. We can have aspirations. Love is the highest calling of the human heart, the human soul. You know, art uh, tries to in, uh, capture yes, the... Unless it does that same feeling. Exactly. But. You know, the, the, the most beautiful things elicit affection and love and, and depth. And then people are like, well, what exactly is that? And you have to dig into that. But... Um, since love is the highest value, our souls hunger and thirst for love, right? And if this is the case, then there are certain qualities of being that type of person that must be met in order to be engaged to experience an authentic relationship. Mm. Uh, that's what faith is, is faith 
is my capacity to have a relationship with God. It's the conduit through which his grace flows directly into my life. Not just a general gift to everybody, but how it actually flows into my life. My faith is the key that unlocks God's grace. It doesn't cause God's grace. It doesn't force God's grace. But as Jesus said, I stand at the door and the knock. Well, faith is opening the door. You know, you got to open the door. And so it comes into your life. And that's what it's about. It's about relationally connecting to God. So I think, I mean, really in, in Ephesians two, eight through nine, we're saved by grace through faith, right? Right. Is is what what it's saying. And what exactly is the essence of faith? What are we being called to do? I, I often hear non-believers or atheists or whoever, right, yes. say that faith is irrationable, irrational or unreasonable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, What's and, God's definition of faith? Well, atheists attempt to define faith in a way that fits their argument, and their argument tends to be a straw man. Okay. In other words, they create something that nobody really believes so they can tear it down really quite easily. Right. You know, the greatest, the, here's the biggest straw man t- in today's world that happens and young people run into this all the time. And that is, is that, well, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, you hate gay people. Okay. You know? And so that's a straw man. That's re- it's really easy to, to say something that's not true and then tear it down. Right. Uh, another thing that people run into today is that if you don't agree with some extremely progressive ideology, you're a racist, right? You know, and well, nobody likes racists. <laughs> nobody does. Nobody right? does. And so, yeah, but you know, everything isn't racist, you know, of course, unless you're a postmodern neo-Marxist, then everything is, everything but, is, but. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, I think the issue is, is that they're attempting to define faith in a way that fits their argument, which is false. No one who believes in God agrees with their definition of faith, that faith is irrational. Faith is relational. And if you really want a strong relationship, it requires all kinds of things. Faith is basically when you choose the best option of all the evidence that describes reality in the best way. It requires belief. You know, what type of belief? Uh, It requires confession, the Bible says. Well, what does that mean? It requires repentance. Mm. It, It has an element in it called baptism. It has the bearing of fruit, which is training in righteousness. And so all of these things are a portion or part of what makes up faith, which the end goal is a relational connection to God. Well, let's take each of those one at a time. (laughs) You think we ought to break those down a little bit? Yeah, that would be helpful for, I think, at least me. I don't know about the rest of the audience, but at least me. Well, I think the best thing to say is that faith, you know, first and foremost requires belief. Okay. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 10, he says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Peter says in Acts 2.38, he says, repent and be baptized every one of you and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Um, later on, it says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. In today's world, we define belief as agreeing with facts. So someone comes to you and says, Jesse, the world is round. And then you say, yes, I agree with that. Okay. So I say, you believe believe the world is round, but let me ask you something. How many things do you do each and every day do you, that uh, require you to have a belief that the world is round? I mean, everything, because we talk about whether it's satellites that are giving a cell phone signal, which have to orbit a mm-hmm. round planet in order to stay in the sky, um, things of that nature. I mean, air travel. All so your different. belief that the Earth is round also allows you to believe why your cell Cell phone or satellite works or gps works and all that kind of stuff right yeah because if the world was flat gps wouldn't work yeah and gravity i don't think works either (laughs) in a flat earth it doesn't really work on a flat earth so gravity so so in other words it's more than just accepting a fact it's it's accepting a reality that molds and shapes everything you do Mm. and that's the difference of what a biblical faith versus today's faith. Like for instance, if I were to say to you that the, the legume grows in sub-Sahara Africa and is critical for crop production, how does that affect your daily life? Uh, doesn't <laughs> at all. No, <laughs> but would you accept that is factually true? I mean, I guess I don't, yeah. I don't have any way of, I don't currently have any information about that otherwise so i would trust that you're telling me the truth yeah okay so basically most americans when you talk about god and you talk about salvation you talk about heaven they accept it oh as a fact and they say okay well we have christmas and i like it so sure sure there was a jesus and he was born that's cool so i believe in jesus well no you actually don't from a biblical standpoint a biblical belief was more like the you got to believe the world is round so that you believe all this other stuff fits together and works it describes reality so it's knowing the basic options of how one can orient your life the reality of my life am am i a perfect person or not no you got to ask that question if i'm not a perfect person why Am I not a perfect person? Am I always happy? If I'm not always happy, then why am I not always happy? Am, am I, do I ever violate my own conscience? Well, why do I violate my own conscience? Mm. Why am I unhappy with myself? Do I ever get mad at myself? Do I have trouble forgiving myself? Okay, all of these things are very powerful questions that influence human experience. In other words, your capacity to walk in fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment, that you could say, man, I'm really fulfilled about my life and I feel my life has focus and meaning. Wow, that is a sense that so few people actually ever experience and walk in in a permanent way. Right. Um, A sense that I, I belong. You know, there's no question there. I don't have to strive anymore. I can just live and enjoy. If so few people ever experience that, why? Well, it comes back to the notion that they've never really, really thought through what do I believe. Mm. You know how before I've always said what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you. 
because right. it influences so much of who you are and what you do and the decisions you make. In the same way, biblical belief says, I look at the options that explain why I am the way I am. Now, a, a scientific materialist or an atheist or an agnostic says, well, you, you don't really have a sentience or conscious. You know, the reason you feel guilty or you're not happy with yourself is just basically a figment of your imagination. It's an illusion that you create, which why would you create an illusion to make yourself unhappy? I don't know, but no atheist has ever been able to explain <laughs> that to me. Um, and yet human beings do it every single day, right? right. So, so that, that's insufficient. You know, if, if you're a Hindu, you know, you're basically, well, the reason why you're unhappy and bad things are happening to you is because you're paying for sins that you committed in a former life, mm. you know, and that's why, and you need to pay for them today. It's called karma, you know, it, uh, on the surface, people say, well, I love karma. But then when you really actually look at the teaching of karma and how it actually works, you start to realize, man, that is really unjust. I, I'm, I'm today p paying and suffering today because of sins I committed in 42,000 lives ago, you know? And it's like, okay. And then you start working on the math, you know, the balance, the yin and yang, that just doesn't work really right. mathematically, especially when you think of probabilities. Mm. Um, I, I could go on down. We just don't have time for all of these things. But I just want to say is that in order to believe something, I must engage my rational mind. This is the point. And I must look at all the options that explain who I am and why I do what I do and what is the point and purpose of life. What is the definition of human beings? I have to look at all of those options and then and I have to say which one best describes the reality that I live in each and every day. Uh, I think this is why... Uh, I often teach and I often say not only is what you believe one of the most important things about you is that you can't truly be a follower of Christ without critical thinking skills. That's why the salty pastor is so important because you have to uh, really think through the implications of what I believe. Uh, this is one of the reasons why fewer people today in America are followers of Christ or adopting Christianity, that they're walking away from it. It isn't because the church isn't doing its job. Now, I believe the church could always do a better job, right? That we should always try to do better. But the primary reason is because our public education system over the last 35 years has no longer taught critical thinking skills. If you want, if you want your children to grow up with critical thinking skills, you either have to generally send them to a charter school that focuses on that or to a private school or homeschool because in general, now are there great teachers who try to overcome that? Sure. That's always the case. But in general, the philosophy of the curriculums is not to teach critical thinking skills. And what's amazing about it is that people who have written these things, these uh, academic elites who have never taught a child how to do anything that come out of Washington, all say, well, the main reason we're doing it this way is to teach critical thinking skills. And in reality, what they're doing is the exact opposite. What the school teaches today is deconstructionism. Okay. And that's predominantly what you get, and you get that at university. So... That's why so many employers are having such difficult time finding good employees today because young people have been raised to think deconstructionist, not to think critically. And guess what that ends up being? They can't read, they can't write. And all they care about is how what you decide to do affects them. So <laughs> once a person has considered the options mm -hmm. and made a choice, yes. 
or believes as as we've been as we've been talking about in the truth of Jesus Christ, then what is next in this essence of faith? We've okay. talked about belief. You're trying to keep me moving, aren't you? I'm trying to keep you moving because we we don't have tons of time left, <laughs> but we I want to make sure we hit these points that you had mentioned. mentioned well, I earlier. think the next thing he says is this, is, you know, when Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you know, you will be saved. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before Father. If you're in a relationship with somebody, confession is always a critical part. Mm. You know, one of the things that I do when people start dating is they always ask me, well, I say, hey, are you interested in somebody? Yeah. And I said, are you dating? And they say, well, we're hanging out. And I go, I, I have no idea what that means. Do you, what does that mean? I don't know. If I asked the girl, she would say, I don't know. And I'd say, well, have you had a DTR? And they go, what do you mean? I said, a define the relationship conversation. Right. <laughs> and I go, oh, you mean you have to have DTRs? Yes. Yes. You have to have those. And on the basis of a DTR, what do you do? You <laughs> redefine the relationship and then you move forward to the next level mm-hmm. so that you can have another DTR for, so basically it's, I like you. I want to date you exclusively. That means I'm not going to date anybody else. Right. You set expectations. You set, uh, a exactly. Basically a commitment. And- yeah. That's what a confession is, is a confession requires self-awareness. I think I like this person enough to say, I want to see if we can go to the next level. So that requires evaluation. How do I know I like them? Well, I'm acting weird or I'm doing this. I can't get them out of my head. So you're evaluating yourself. All right. Then you have to say, well, do they like me? Mm. Well, they're responding, the body language, the words they're using seems like they're interested in going the next. So I have to evaluate facts. I have to get facts out on the table and then I have to have a commitment. I'm going to change. I'm going to get rid of my roster, right? Right. You're going to get rid of the roster and you say, I'm going to date you exclusively. And, um, so that is, I've got to align myself with my declaration. I have made a confession. I want to date you exclusively. And so now I got to do that. And then you set expectations. Okay. Well, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean we eat dinner together every single night? You know, um, do we go shopping together? What, what is this stage of our relationship like in the exact same way? Confession is critical to your faith in Christ, to connecting with him. When you say, he is my savior. He is my king. I pled my allegiance to him. And now I'm going, I've evaluated myself. I have self-awareness. I've done now notice everything that we've talked about can be driven by your emotions, but they are 100% a rational process, right? You're thinking about these things, thinking, 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 thinking. When you say, I can't get her out of my mind, right? You're thinking. And in the same way, confession is a rational process. That's why faith is more rational than irrational. Mm. If you can't engage your brain in the process, then you're not exercising true faith. So it begins with belief. And then it it begins with, now I'm going to make a confession. Confession is defining the relationship with Jesus. I'm going to say, this is our relationship in my journey of faith with you. So we've believed, we've confessed. What's next? (laughs) Well, then here's where we talk about repentance. All right. What happens if uh, you're you're dating this gal that you're dating and you uh, had a couple of DTRs with her, I'm assuming? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what happened if you got to a DTR where in the DTR you said to her, I think that we have a future together. I'm not saying you've said this. I'm just speaking hypothetically to use you as a case study. You say to her, "I, I believe that, you know, we should think about having a future together 
deeper and maybe uh, taking it to the to the ultimate commitment level. You're thinking about this stuff. And then you say to her that, oh, by the way, though, I want to see all my girlfriends at the same time. What would she say? Uh some words, but the general <laughs> consensus would probably be no. Yeah. There's no way in heaven that's ever going to fly. Right. Right? Because what you say you want and the what you actually do are what? Incongruent. Right. They are opposite. They, they are not going in the same direction. We have redefined bap, uh, repentance to basically mean that stop dating other girls. Right? Right. But it's actually more than that. Because what it is, is repentance is saying, I am pledging to focus solely on you because this is the most important thing, the priority, this is the priority relationship in my life right now. I'm focusing on you first. That's what I'm going to do. And so that's what repentance is. And so few people repent. So few people ever say, Jesus, you are going to be my primary relationship. You're going to be my Lord and my King. I'm going to focus on that first as my priority in order to positively influence all the other areas of my life. And if I can get that right, everything else will fall into place. And so one of the things that a lot of couples do is when they're having married uh, problems, they come in, they see a pastor. What they do is the pastor always tries to get them to reaffirm the supremacy of their focus on Christ. And the reason why is because if the wife is focusing on Christ and moving towards Christ, and if the husband is focusing on Christ and moving towards Christ, they will naturally be drawn together closer, more intimately. Mm. And so many of their problems go away. This is why I say to guys over and over and over again, the reason why you have so many problems in your life is you don't have a king to follow. Mm. You don't take Jesus as your king seriously. You've placed your allegiance with everything else, but not Jesus. And until you do that, all of these problems are going to plague you. Until you can do that, you know, and when you do that, that's called repentance. It's focus. When a man has focus on something, he is unstoppable, right? And the problem is, is that most men live quiet lives of unfocused desperation. Right. (laughs) So that's what repentance is, is it's learning how to focus on the most important relationship in your life and how it dramatically impacts everything else. So let's talk about baptism. If we're saved through faith, then how is baptism part of our faith? Well, the original word is baptizo, and what it actually means in the original Greek was uh, an immersion and a pledge of allegiance. What we have done is we have mistakenly defined baptism as an act, right? And so we're trying to separate, we're almost being Gnostic in our approach to it. And that is, well, if it's spiritual, it's all good. If it's anything physical or material, that's uh, an act and that's bad. So we're approaching faith, uh, the definition of baptism with a dualism. Mm. And this is a, a kind of a Socratic dualism orientation. And this is what Gnostics were all about. In, in the early church, they, they, didn't, they didn't like Gnosticism at all. They saw them together. So baptism was an act or a pledge of oneself and allegiance. So if repentance is focus, baptism is the pledge of that focus. So it, it, it can't be described as an act in and of itself. That's a misunderstanding of what baptism is. But it's like a, it's like a pledge. It's for instance, when you 
uh, let's say you have a DTR with this young lady and you get to the point where you say our DTR is that I want to get married. And so you go see a preacher. Will you marry us? Blah, blah, blah. And they say, okay, on this date on in the summertime or winter, whenever we're going to have uh, a, uh, a wedding ceremony where I'm going to pledge to you, you see my allegiance and we're going to be married. And from that moment forth, you're married. Right. And so baptism is similar to that in that it it's that pledge, but the the wedding ceremony doesn't create love between you, does right. it? No. No, it's a fulfillment. It is a pledge, right, of the love and all the work you've done to that point. Yes. So it can't be separated out, okay? Um, but it isn't the cause either. So that's why baptism is important. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up for the day, Pastor? Well, I think, you know, once you have this relationship with Jesus is when you really start to experience his grace in your life. And when when the conduit of grace is flowing into your life, you become a new creation. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, uh, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Uh, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the spirit, this new creation that is inside of me that has been uh, uh, brought from death to life in Christ is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so the, the whole point is, is that the, the reason why I want a dynamic relationship with Christ, that I want a king that I can devote myself and be loyal to, the supremacy of that relationship in my life is because I'm training myself for righteousness. Mm. You know, um, I, w- I was talking to uh, a gal a while back and she said, uh, I-, I go, what, what are you looking for in a man? And she said to me, well, I want to marry a, you know, a military man. And I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, military men know how to lead and they know how to follow. And in her mind, if a man knew how to do those two things, everything else in her life would work out. And that's a mild illustration of this is that once I understand that it's God's grace that changes me, that influences my life, gives me the power to live, the strength to carry on, the clarity to make great decisions, this is all God's grace flowing into my life. And so I want to protect that more than anything else. So I must train myself in righteousness to bear the fruit of that. And so that's what it's all about is following Christ. Once you are, uh, established a relationship with him through faith. And now the conduit of grace is flowing into your life. You need to train yourself for righteousness. And what that means is not training yourself to be a good person. It means training yourself to be right, to be in alignment with this grace that's flowing into your life. Mm -hmm. And then you see all this fruit pop up. That's the only way real transformation happens in your life. Real experience of God's uh, manifestation of power in your life, the capacity to see your own past healed and restored and your future laid out before you in a wondrous and grand way. That's why I love talking about salvation at Christmas, because the greatest gift uh, is the invitation of the birth of Jesus Christ is that you receive the grace of God unto salvation of your soul. 
Well, thank you, Pastor, for sharing so much with us. And really, this comes down to we're saved by God's grace through faith, right? Mm -hmm. And God makes this relationship possible, but I experience this relationship through my faith, right? Yes. And so that's the only way we can do this. It's what a true faith looks like. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a, a passing fancy. It's a relationship. Mm -hmm. So it uh, impacts your feelings. It impacts your emotions. Yes, as every relationship, <laughs> as everything does. does. Yeah. But um, ultimately, it is a relationship. So thank yeah. you guys so much for joining us again. We have lots of Christmas activities going on. If you have, if you need a recap on any of those, you can rewind to the beginning or go to foothills.org/Christmas. We'd love to see you um, join us for Christmas Eve services, and then obviously the Christmas special. And then next week we'll have Pastor Harp and Pastor Steve on yes. for the Salty Pastor, which will be really fun. And we're doing some like, little different things for a year-end wrap-up, so it'll be great. But thank you guys so much for joining us, and Merry Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas!